You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. at 330 South Market Street. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Dan Jetto. About every six weeks I get an opportunity to preach uh, here and I, I enjoy it. Um, and I want to start this morning's message, uh, How to Get More Out of Your Bible, to talk about something that happened to me almost 50 years ago. Um, I was about 10 years old in fourth grade, and I got my very first pair of glasses. And uh, I, I would, went to the school screening, and I was disappointed that I pa- didn't pass the screening because I've always been kind of a competitive person, so I wanted to be 20-20 or better, and I, and I failed it. And so my parents took me to one of the local eye doctors, and I had the eye exam, and we ordered glasses, uh, and they ordered some really clunky, ugly plastic ones, uh, and probably that was good because I was not particularly safe or careful as a kid, and I went through several pairs because I broke them, uh, so it was a wise decision for them. But when the glasses came, and I went to school the next day, and I, I had the glasses on, I go, there's lines on the chalkboard. I had never seen the lines on the chalkboard. I didn't understand how teachers could write so evenly and straight across. I thought they had to take you know, years of study to see that. There were details in our world that I was missing because I could not see them. Because my eyes were defective. They didn't work the way they were supposed to. And, and again, why do I remember that? I have no idea why that's the thing that I remember from getting my glasses. But that was the one big detail that I remember. And we're going to look at a passage in James today that as I studied it this week, it was one of those things where there's lines on the chalkboard passages for me. So I'm excited to share what God has given me there. And, and, but I want you to also to begin to see the lines on the chalkboard in Scripture, to get that kind of information out of Scripture. I want you to see the truths that you may have been missing as we look into the Gospels and then we look into the Word of God. And, and so I'm going to go ahead and move right into the passage. If you want to take your Bibles out, we're going to be reading from James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And it says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do it, do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, looks intently into the uh, and he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. That's kind of a short passage, and I kind of messed it up the first time, so let's read it again. I'll read it a little bit slower. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Now I've read this passage probably a hundred times. And every time I've read this passage in the past, I've looked at it and, and, and said, 
this seems like a, a faith by works or salvation by works passage. And, and it bothered me as I was studying this passage and I, and I really looked at the verse where it says there looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And I, and I began thinking, is this the Torah? Is James talking about the Torah? Because the Torah doesn't bring freedom. That, you know, that's the Jewish Bible, the first five books. of the, That doesn't bring freedom. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the message that Jesus brought that brings freedom. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, the truth shall set you free. And Jesus, the gospel. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to understand it in the context of grace through faith. And verses 16 through 18 of the same chapter, so we're going backwards here a little bit, kind of helps uh, point this out. It says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. That greatest gift that God has given us is spiritual birth, and that's through his word, through Jesus Christ. The passage is about living in the light of who we are in Christ. It's not about obeying a list of rules and regulations. It's a passage about our identity, who we are in Christ. It's a passage about living out what we know. And that brings me to my bumper sticker. And my bumper sticker is going to sound a little weird because it needs a little explanation. It says, because I am the I am's, I am blessed when I am. And the I am after that is when I'm doing the things that God has called me to do. So because I am the I am's, I am blessed when I am. Dot, dot, dot. The passage really stands out and it's been given out to us to help us live. And what it does is it gives us some warnings about the deceptions of Satan and what he throws at us. And then it gives us an understanding of the blessing we can experience if we will begin living what we know. So here are the three things that came out in this passage for me. One, we are not saved because of what we do. It is a gift. Secondly, if we forget who we are in Christ, we will go back to doing what we were before. And then finally, if we focus on the gospel and living it, we will experience blessing in all we do. So how did I get to the point where I saw this as a passage of grace? I want to give credit to a long-dead um, evangelist and teacher, and it's D.L. Moody. Because I was struggling with this passage, I decided to go look at them uh, Bible commentaries, and I pulled up D.L. Moody's Bible commentary, and he really lays this out as a passage of faith and grace, not a passage of works. And so as I struggled with what sounded like very pharisaical or, or legalistic teaching that, uh, well, you don't do the word, you know, um, I began to see that it wasn't about that at all. It was about grace. It was about understanding who we are. And, and one of the things that bothered me about this was because I knew James. I had studied James' life. James was the brother of Jesus. He was a man of grace. 
I want you to think of what it must have been like. And this is why he probably was a man of grace. He grew up with Jesus. Jesus was his older brother. How many of you had older brothers who were perfect? Okay. Why can't you be like Jesus? You know, hear that from everybody. Why can't you be like Jesus? How about knowing this later in life, that Jesus was God, and the practical jokes are the times that you beat up your little brother. Okay? And so, I beat up God when he was 12. You know, he had to live with those types of things. And so, he was a man of grace. And when you see the council, uh, the Jew, council in Jerusalem, and he responds to grace when the Pharisees who had become Christians are telling the Jews there, that, or the Christians from Antioch, that they have to be circumcised to be saved. And James and Peter stand up and say, no, that's not right. Uh, they, they're saved by grace through faith, just like us. James is a man of grace. And that brings us into our first uh, step here. We are not saved because of what we do. It is a gift. So James begins writing, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. This is the second of three times in this passage, in this chapter, that James uses the word deceive or deceive. And it's a clear sign that there are warnings here that he's trying to give us, traps that Satan sets for us that we fall into when we forget our identity and start focusing on works. The first we saw in, in verses 16 through 18, uh, and, and that helps us understand verse 22. And so that verse that in 16 through 18 we've read already. And the trap is this. Now I want you to think about this. It says, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Uh, don't be mere listeners of the word, but do it. Uh, you know, it was in that something along that line. And the trap is this. If I go to church, I listen to the word of God, I hear it preached, and I'm a child God of God. That's a work-based salvation. The idea that I read my Bible, that I go to church, I do this, I do that, but I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus is the easiest trap to fall into and millions have. So our, our faith is not based on what I'm doing. It's not based on being at River Rock Church this morning, listen to a bald guy preach, okay? It's, it's not about that at all. It's about having that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we deceive ourselves when we begin to think that because I go to church, because I read my Bible, because I do this, because I do that, that I am in the family of God. And that's not true. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus uh, tells his disciples this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me. That's a scary passage. These people appear to be doing the right things. They're, they're doing good things. But Jesus says, I never knew you. They didn't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we need to receive that gift that Jesus, Jesus offers. We need to know him. We need to be known by him. Paul, he was a Pharisee before he became a Christian. He wrote this in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our salvation is a gift. 
We cannot earn it. It comes by, by grace through faith. It's an unmerited gift that Jesus gives to us. He offers to us, and we receive by faith. And grace received responds with acts of gratitude. So when we receive that grace, the natural outpouring of that grace is we should be doing acts of gratitude. It is out of gratitude that we do what Jesus has prepared for us to do. So my acts earn me nothing. So it's not about how much I give. You know, we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 also. I give out of gratitude, out of my love and my thankfulness for Jesus for what he's done. It's not about how much I serve. It's not how many hours I put in working for the church. I serve out of gratitude. I serve because I love Jesus and I want to do the things that he's called me to do. It's not about how much I pray. I pray because I want to talk to the one who saved me. I pray because I love him. It's not about what church I go to. I go to church to worship my Savior. I don't go to church because that church has the best name or that church has the best music or that church has the best preacher. I go to worship Jesus. Now, if we have truly received Jesus and are walking in personal relationship him, with him, this should change how we live. So doing the word, not merely listening, should be a reflection of what has happened inside of our heart, not something that we do to try to earn what Jesus has called us to. We're not going to earn heaven. There's no way to earn heaven. So how do I receive this gift? And that's what I'm going to start with. One, we have to recognize our need. Paul writes in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. Our sin has separated us from God. We need to recognize that works do not save me. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, just shared it. It is by faith through grace that we receive it. And, it, and it's not a, a by works it's so that we can't boast about it. It's a gift. We need to place our trust in Jesus Christ's death on the cross as a payment for our sin. Our memory verse this week is Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus has paid that price for us. And we have to ask and re uh, to receive his gift, his gift of eternal life. And in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He will have a personal relationship, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and he will give us the gift of eternal life. Now we can do this by praying a simple prayer like this. And I'm going to pray this prayer. Uh, if you would like to pray it with me, you can. If not, just listen and, and reconfirm your own need for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross in place for my sins. I believe in you and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving me, for forgiving me and giving me eternal life. Please help me to live the way you want me to. Help me to live with you in charge of my life. Amen. If you prayed with me today or something similar to this at some other time, you've entered into a personal relationship with Jesus. And because of our relationship with Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit, which empowers us to be doers of his word, not just listeners, because now his spirit lives within us. And as we receive grace, again, our natural response should be acts of gratitude. Our grat gratitude that we live out in this world 
so that people can see the Jesus in us. If we live our lives out of duty, that's going to build contempt. Okay? I had to clean my room when I was a kid. I resented that. And that is your chore, you're going to do it. Um, I didn't clean my room because I wanted to. I cleaned my room because if I didn't, there would be punishment. You know, I might get grounded or worse. You know, so uh, I cleaned my room. It breeds contempt. But get gratitude breeds love. So I do dishes sometimes. I do laundry sometimes at home. Uh, not just because I need a clean plate uh, like I did when I was a bachelor. Everything would pile up in the sink and then I'd wash whatever I needed for that one day and then I'd let it pile up some more until I finally did go. I do it because I love my wife and I don't think she should have to do all the work around the house. She works just as hard as I do at work. And it's acts of love out of gratitude that we've been called to, to, to do. And it's acts of love. Jesus gave us a new commandment in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When we live this way, our identity in Christ begins to show through, which brings us to our second point, which is another trap that Satan throws at us. If we forget who we are in Christ, we will go back to doing what we were before. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. By looking into the Word of God, studying the Bible, we are constantly reminded of who we are in Him. We're reminded of His promises, of our forgiveness, of His love for us. But when we quit looking into God's Word, we forget, and Satan starts to accuse us. How many of you have done something terribly wrong, and every once in a while it comes back to mind, and you feel shame all over again? Okay, am I the only one? Um, there's times when I feel that. Uh, that's because I've forgotten what Jesus has said. As far as the east is from the west, he says, I've thrown your sins. I remember them no more. So if I go to Jesus and say, remember that time when I, uh, and he says, no, I don't remember that. Um, and he has perfect knowledge. He knows everything. So he, he erased the hard drive. It's gone. And then he destroyed it. So Jesus forgets for us. When we begin to see ourselves, and then we begin to see ourselves as useless. God can't use me because I did this. We see ourselves as fallen sinners when we're victorious saints. He puts chains on us and he paralyzes us when we quit looking into the Word of God, when we turn away and we forget who we are in Jesus Christ. Our faith in God's ability to use us becomes weaker, and, and, and we either go back to doing what we did before we were saved, or we become ineffective and simply stop trying. Now, there's a Christianese term for this called backsliding. Um, probably heard it before, but that's what happens. When we quit looking into the Word of God, when we quit focusing on Jesus, when we quit understanding who we are in Jesus Christ, we backslide. We become the old man rather than the new creation that we are. And this happens to all of us. Uh, we've all experienced it at some point in time. So we need to maintain our relationship with God 
learning more about who he is by regularly studying his word. His Holy Spirit will remind us that we are his and give us strength to defeat the lies and the deceptions of Satan. Because Satan wants to tell us that we are not. That your confession, that your prayer was meaningless. You didn't do it. When John the Baptist was in prison, he began to forget who he was. He was God's messenger proclaiming the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. So John sent some of his disciples as messengers to, to Jesus to ask him, was I wrong? Did I waste my life? And Jesus in his response is in, is in Luke 7, 22 and 23. He says, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John. What you have seen and heard, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is pro proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The words that Jesus sent back to John through his disciples are words directly out of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah chapter 61. John the Baptist was the son of a rabbi. He would have known, a priest, he would have known these verses and he would have understand them. And it would bring encouragement and strength to him. In Isaiah 35, 6, it says, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. It's talking to John the Baptist. Your God will come and he will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame like, like, leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. He's John's encouragement. You did not waste your life. Remember who you are. And then in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for prisoners. John is in prison. He, he's going to experience release. Uh, not the way he wanted, but he's going to experience release. Okay, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Jesus used the word of God to remind John of who he was and who had sent him. That God had sent him to be that prophet to proclaim the Messiah. We also need to be frequently be in the word of God to have God to remind us of who we are so that we don't become who we were. Because the last thing that I want to be is the person that I was before I came to Christ. Scripture reminds us of our inheritance. It reminds us that we are already victors. It reminds us that our sins are completely forgotten by God. It reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So, we need to read it for ourselves. We need to set aside time to open up the Word of God and read it and try to understand it. We needed to read it with others. John needed others. John the Baptist needed others to encourage him. I encourage you to join a small group. Not a part of our church, fine. Join one at some other church. You can join ours, any one of ours. You can come and join us. And sometimes we need the wisdom of others to help us understand. Just like I needed D.L. Moody's writing to help me understand this passage. We can't do it by ourselves. The Christian life was never meant to be lived as a solo Thing. It's meant to be lived in community. God uses his Holy Spirit. He uses people to help us remember who we are. And he does it through his word. Now the third thing, if we focus on the gospel and living it, 
we will experience blessing in all we do. In verse uh, 25 it says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Knowledge that is never put into action accomplishes nothing. We not only need to remember Scripture, we need to live it. It needs to be put into action in our lives. Okay? This, I'm, I want to give a uh, kind of a lawyer's, uh, what I don't remember, the disclaimer for this next uh, illustration. Um, this should only be accomplished or done in a uh, closed course with professional drivers type of thing. Um, try this. Or, or maybe ask an enemy to try this, second thought. Um, do you know your spouse's birthday, right? So I, I know Becky's birthday. And if I was going to do this, I would put on full hockey pads, so helmets, uh, shin guards, uh, breezers, shoulder pads, elbows. I remember your birthday. Birthday comes. Don't do anything. Don't recognize it. Don't say anything. No cards, no gifts, no dinner. And when she comes and asks you, did you forget my birthday? No, I, I remembered it. I just didn't do anything with it. It could be a very painful experience. That's why I say, uh, you know, don't don't do this. I wouldn't even wish this on my enemy. It could destroy a marriage. Uh, when we don't take the word and start living it, that's what we're doing. We're we're forgetting that it's not about knowledge. It's about living. It's about loving through uh, through our actions. Our actions show our love to others. I can say I love you, and then it's the things that I do that say more. When we read Scripture and have knowledge, uh, we are called to make, uh, the, the, the knowledge, for example, that we are called to make disciples of all nations, but do nothing but listen to more sermons, podcasts, and read books on it, but never share with non-believers Never share with non-believers what God is teaching us. We never give, we never go, or we never pray for the lost in our communities or around the world. Our knowledge has done nothing. And James, later in his book, would say that our faith is dead. He says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? It's in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. Jesus shared a parable of the talents where a master was going away and he gave one guy so much and he gave another guy so much and he gave the third guy so much. And, and then he went away and he came back and he asked him to come and give accounts. And the one guy who had been given the most, he had... He had doubled it, and, and the master says, Thank you, uh, you good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. And the second one, he says the same thing. And the third guy, he did nothing with it. He just buried it and gave the guy back the talent that he'd given. And, and he said, he chastised that one. He said, you were supposed to do something with that what I've given you. God has given us his word. We're supposed to do something with it. We're not just supposed to gather it in. 
Think of this in another way. What gives more joy? Knowing the steps it takes to accomplish something or actually accomplishing something? So if you're a painter and you know the steps to take, it takes to paint a masterpiece, what gives you more joy? The actually knowing or being able to put that on canvas and do it? So it, maybe, maybe you're a, a car jockey and knowing the steps to fix your car when it breaks down, does that give you more joy? Just knowing it and still having to pay a mechanic? Or being able to go out and actually fix the car yourself and not have to pay the mechanic? Knowing how to make your loved one feel loved and appreciated, is that better or is it better to actually see their faces after you've accomplished that, where you've shown them their, how much you love them and appreciate them? What did Jesus say about, about the contrary? Not living out what we know, not acting on the knowledge we have of his word and of him. And in Luke 6, 46 to 49, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug it deep, down deep and laid the foundation on a rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck the house, could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent came and struck the house, it collapsed and destruction was complete. When we ignore the word not putting into action, we weaken ourselves. We put ourselves at risk of failure, and we cannot stand strong when temptations or trials, struggles come our way. It is in living out God's word that, we will, that will bring us blessing and joy. So at the end of that verse, says that those who live out, who become doers of the word, will experience blessing, and they will be blessed in all that they do. If we want to truly get more out of our Bible, we need to be in it. We need to be reading it from the perspective that I am the I am, and I will be blessed because I am living for him. Growing in our knowledge of him is important. Uh, knowing who we are in him is important. And knowing of his grace so that we can, that, that, and that, that grace can change me to reflect more of him, it's important. It's also important to know that we are supposed to be acting on what he is teaching us and that we should be living out the knowledge that we have. And then we'll experience blessing, blessing beyond our imagination. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a great God. Lord, that you've given us your word as a gift, that you've given yourself to us as a gift. And Lord, I know sometimes it's hard to live out your word, but I pray that you give us strength to do so. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.